I'm Rick Donlin, and I have laryngitis. So I hope you can hear me. Is, is this projecting in the back decently? Okay. Um, if I go down, one of my friends here can come up and finish for me. That's what we'll have to do. Um, 17 years ago, three of my medical student classmates and I um, opened a small health clinic for the poor in Memphis, Tennessee, a place called Christ Community Health Services. And over the last 17 years, it's grown to a network of six clinics. There are also three dental clinics and pharmacies, um, and a host of other outreach services that we do. We're now, and there's many of us here in the room and at the conference, the largest provider of primary care for uh, the poor, for the underserved in our city. And about 10 years ago, um, at the prompting of a guy who's been a prominent speaker at this conference, uh, Charles, what do we call him? Fielding. It's his fake name because he lives in the Muslim world. But um, we began to move into the communities where we have health centers. And so now about half of our doctors and nurse practitioners live in the inner city in Memphis. And for about the same length of time, we've been preparing and sending people overseas. And the niche, again, really because of Dr. Fielding, the niche we've, we've tried to target is the unreached and the unengaged unreached people groups of the world. And so we've sent many, many people to very difficult places. I'm going to talk to you about one of our uh, missionaries today in this talk. Um, but we have, we've learned a few things and have developed um, a working theology of suffering. Okay, And so that's what today's topic is about. Um, we're going to talk a whole lot about the Bible, and that's what you should do if you're going to talk about a biblical theology, right? But I'm going to start, um, as I said, with talking about a person. And really, there are two people in this picture, but um, I particularly want to draw attention to the woman on the right. And I'm going to call her Lynn. It's her middle name. She's a family physician from the Midwest, trained in Ohio, and then did an OB fellowship. And then she lived in the same neighborhood that I live in. In fact, she was my neighbor four doors down for a number of years worked at one of our health centers, but always wanted to work overseas as a medical missionary. And so she learned uh, cross-cultural things in the setting where we are, and she went through our preparation um, that is goes along with the mission sending agencies that we work with, but things like the Perspectives on the World Christian Movement and some um, seminary classes, and we helped her um, work on her spiritual disciplines. She was a member of my own house church, the house church. We have nine house churches, the one that meets in my home. Um, and after all of this preparation, she went to this country that I'm not going to say because we're being recorded, but you can see where it is. And it's a difficult country. And it happens that um, the star on the map is, is actually this place. And <clears throat> the most endearing thing about this place when you land is the Russian aircraft that are shot in pieces around it. So it's uh, thank, I got a laugh up here. That's right. <laughs> Until recently, the runway um, was only serviceable a few months of the year because if it was too wet, your plane would stick, literally stick. So it's when you get to the end of nowhere in this country, you go another hour, and you take a left, and that's where you are. Okay, It's a very difficult place. Um, I don't know. People have different opinions about evil, but I could feel, palpably feel, darkness in this place. Um, so, it's really hot in this country in the summer, and it's really, really bone cold there in the winter. And if you're a woman, and Lynn is a woman, you got to dress in all these multiple layers of clothes. You can't go out unless you've got a man with you. There's a million. It's hard for anybody, but it's, it, it's exemplarily difficult, horribly difficult for women. And um, 
she's had difficulties. I'm going to share, with her permission, of course, some of those. Um, she's had illnesses. Her ministry partner who joined her was um, forced to return to the United States because of the difficulties of that place. So this is, and we're going to read, I'm not going to read a lot, but this is an email I recently received from her. And again, I ask her permission to share it with you all. While I was struggling, she said, with the darkness and oppression, I was coming before him in worship, prayer, quoting psalms, claiming promises, and it was still taking everything in me to hang on. It felt like the oppression would lift about eight inches, literally, just enough that I could be covered by his wings over my bed. I wasn't thinking straight, and I knew it. I couldn't sleep. I had depressive thoughts. I had weird pains all over, and I knew it was all spiritual warfare. So I tried to rest in him, think on things per Philippians 4.8, elicit prayer support, fasted, spent long time in the word, etc. I used every tool in my arsenal to fight the battle, and still nothing changed. The oppression and darkness got worse. My thoughts got worse. This is the norm, ladies and gentlemen, if you're going to go to a place like this. Okay. You're in a session that falls under the track of missionary preparation. And so we're going to talk about suffering because it is part and parcel of the missionary's life. And without a sturdy theology of suffering, without a way of understanding suffering through a biblical context, this is unsustainable. Okay. All right. Um, I want to persuade you. Some of you I won't have to persuade, but... I want to persuade you these things at least. Okay, Suffering is normal for the disciple. And let me say at the beginning, because I don't, I'm so terrified I'm going to forget, Like I don't mean that all Christian people suffer all the time. That's of course not true, right? Like the biblical figures we're going to talk about in a minute, you could think about them and think of times where they're dancing and screaming and high-fiving and rejoicing in God and So I don't mean that all Christians suffer all the time or all missionaries suffer all the time, but they do suffer. The life of a disciple is marked by suffering because the disciple disciple follows the, the Lord of suffering. So suffering is normal for the Christian disciple. It's necessary for the Christian disciple. And it's redemptive, meaning it does a work to redeem, to to buy back. It does the work of God and of grace. Okay, so we're going to start by talking about some Bible figures, and um, I want to, uh, I have some prizes for people who can, who are bibliophiles, bibliophiles, whatever the word is, they love their Bible, and they can answer my questions properly, and what they are are cool shirts, all right, and this is a shirt that Jason Stevens, the Christ Community Director of Media Communications, he always designs our cool shirts, if you come to this conference, you have to buy a Christ Community shirt, right? Because they're only like four dollars, first of all, or how much are they? Five dollars? Five. The, the director of media communication sister says six. six. Okay, they've gone on. Okay. But um, this shirt is designed around this talk. Okay. Um, and I've got three of them over here, or four of them. They're all largest. You can take them to our booth and exchange them if they're not the right size. If you're the smart person. But here's what he did. He took all of the ways from the Bible and from our experience that people, Christians, suffer. This one kind of freaked me out. It's like, nobody was eaten. He's like, lions? Oh, yes. 
Okay, so all of the possible ways Christians have suffered in the Bible and other ways. And then we had a little short brain session where we talked about mostly extra-biblical figures, missionaries, and people who are whose lives manifested suffering as a part of their fruitfulness. So the shirt is those things all together with Jesus and his crucifixion in the middle of it. Who wouldn't want that for a mere $6? All right, okay. All right, and if you don't want to pay for it, hey, Ian, will you grab those shirts for me? I forgot them tethered here to... You can answer the questions wisely. Okay, so Genesis 3 is pretty early in the Bible. Um, after human beings, even Adam, um, followed Lucifer's lead by refusing to let God be God, by, not, by believing the lie that they could be like God, they faced the curses of God. And for a, for a $6 T-shirt, if someone could tell me, with fairly close to the text, what were those curses for Eve and Adam? We have a hand. Her desire will be for her husband, and he will rule over her. Yeah, we're not going to touch that one right now. Okay. Okay. All right. Is everybody okay with this? You like it? You have a better? Suffer with labor. Okay. So she will suffer with labor. Yeah. So I want you to, I'll make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you'll give birth to children. Is it true? It is true. Yeah. My my wife, we have seven children. She bellyaches every time. I couldn't believe it. All right. All right. And. Then for, for Adam, you're right, but it's painful toil, right? The ground is no longer doing what it did in the Garden of Eden where it produced abundant food. Right Now you've got you to gotta sweat and hate your life and your job. And it's, instead of producing good stuff, it's going to produce thorns and thistles. And it's going to be pain and the sweat of your brow. Okay, so from the beginning, because of us, because of our rebellion, suffering is part of human existence, right? And I want to make a little differentiation. This is what you call common suffering, right? Presbyterians in here know what common grace is. The fact that God brings rain on the evil and the good, that there are certain good things that happen to all people, and, and that's common grace. But there's common suffering because of the fall, right? And so all of us will die, okay? Most of us will lose a parent. Some of us will lose a child. Uh, we'll get diseases. We'll break up with our boyfriends, what else? I mean, the list is innumerably long, the things that human beings have to suffer. All right, what I'm really interested in talking to you about is Christian suffering. All right, and to use the language of the book of Revelation, um, which we're going to look at here in a little bit, the martyrs were martyrs because they held to the testimony of the word. Okay, so when I'm talking about Christian suffering, my friend Lynn that I told you about, she, by virtue of her obedience... And going to that very difficult place, she brought suffering on herself, in a sense. That wouldn't have happened if she stayed where she was. And the truth is, she brought suffering on herself when she moved into the inner city of Memphis, too, compared to where she was before that. So, if because of your obedience to Jesus Christ, or because of speaking the truth about Jesus Christ, you suffer, that's Christian suffering. Right? And it's silly, of course, because it, it can all be combined. Physical diseases are more common where there's not good medicine. You know, there's you just if you have a medical problem in a place where there's not good medicine, you might have a worse outcome. But mostly, what I want us to concentrate on is suffering on behalf of the gospel or Jesus Himself. All right. So um, I forgot to give him his shirt. 
Sorry about that. She didn't even flinch. Okay. All right, I got to have three legitimate biblical answers, three ways that this guy, the father of our faith, suffered. Anybody? He left his home. All right, so he was forced to leave all of his comforts. Yeah, he didn't know the future, right? No clear plan from God. He's got two. We're going to give him a shirt. Anybody want to help him? All right, so he was childless, and then when he finally got the promise that was 25 years in the coming, do you remember this? Can you imagine this, parents in the room? Hey, Abraham, go to a place you don't know. And by the way, there ain't any interstate highways or buses. Okay? You're going to take a few people and you're going to cross dangerous Middle Eastern territory. You're leaving all your protections of your tribe and every familiarity you have. And you're going to go to a place I'll, I'll tell you about later. Okay? And I'm going to make you into a great nation. You, 75-year-old man and your 65-year-old wife who have had sex a few times already and haven't had children. Like decades. Okay? And when that promise is finally delivered, almost... At the time when he should be most rejoicing that his son is about the age to enter the covenant, he's asked by God to slaughter his kid. Okay. Good. You want to give him a shirt? All right. Um, Joseph. We did a talk last year about Joseph. is really an amazing character, and he takes up huge sections of the book of Genesis. It should be easy to come up with three ways that Joseph suffered. Are you... No? Okay. It's like a like we were I saw you doing this. I thought, okay. Right, his brother sold him. Rejected by his family. Yes. In Egypt, even though he was doing the right thing in Potiphar's house, he was A woman lied on him. Yes. yes. <laughs> That's right. And then he had I would say he had to deal with his brothers, like <clears throat> he was great and selling too. His brothers came and he had to deal with wrestle with the forgiveness. Yes. All right. Anybody else? Those are great answers. Give her a shirt. Um, other ways that Joseph suffered? What's that? He was in prison falsely as a part of the accusations. That's right. Forgotten by the guy who said, oh, yeah, I'll tell you all about it. I'll speak your name when I get out. Yes. The baker, right? Today I'm remembered of my sins, the baker said. Okay. Um, hey, this guy had gifts from God, right? He had the... He had prophetic abilities. He didn't use them super well. He kind of stuck his finger in his brother's and his father's eyes. But this is somebody that the Holy Spirit rested on powerfully, but he was rejected by his own. He was led as a slave. He was falsely accused. He was falsely imprisoned. It was a long time before God raised him up and used him for the purposes that he had sent him there for. Very good. All right. How about Big Mo? How did Moses suffer? So, uh, as a, uh, a murderer on the run, he had to leave in exile. Yes? He was, Thought about killing him, complained against him, rebelled against him. What else you got? Turned to other gods, embarrassed him, made him look bad, all that. Yep. Did you have something else? Yes, because of, I read it yesterday or today, but because, 
because of his own anger with the people, he struck the rock, which was Christ, presumably, and he wasn't able to go into the promised land. This morning I read how he asked God again, could I please, please, in Deuteronomy, and God said, don't talk to him about this anymore. That's what he said to him. Gave him the hand. Right? Okay. Um, what's that? Yeah, I mean, uh, that's the first thing that... He was stripped out of his family, basically. I, know, I mean, it was better than dying, but he was separated largely from his, his family. Okay, and how long was he in the desert, on the backside of the desert, before he came back? Forty years. Okay, long period of time. This is a theme that comes up in the suffering stories, too. Okay, Big Dave, last biblical figure we're going to look at. But, well, that's not true. We're going to look at Jesus. How did, how did David suffer? Okay, so some of what you're talking about are self-inflicted difficulties because of his disobedience, but he was anointed by Samuel. He was God's chosen servant to be the king, and but he ran for his life for years. He was he had attempted murder on his life by Saul. He did have uh, his own son tried to kill him, tried to run him off, and he was rejected by his brothers. Absolutely, the story of David and Goliath is an amazing story because he's going about to go out and fight Goliath, and his older brother Eliab mocks him, talks trash to him, and. Rejected by his brothers. What's that? Yes, he did. He lost the baby from the um, Uriah, the Hittite's wife, Bathsheba. Other ways. Okay. Knuckleheads. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And again, just the same point. He got anointed by Samuel. It was years before he was actually king. So there was an interim time of difficulty, right? Okay, um, all of these major figures, of course, we ought to be seen, and you know, they're all pictures of Jesus in some way. Uh, leave and go become the father of many nations. Um, offer your son as a sacrifice as a picture of what God does for Christ, if we're talking about Abraham. Not to mention the promise to Abraham. Through you or through your seed, all nations will be blessed. That's really the topic of this conference every year, the nations. Joseph is in... 20 ways a picture of Jesus, the way he was rejected by his brothers, the way he went ahead of them, provided forgiveness for them, reconciled them to himself even though they were his rebels, the way he became number two under the king, under Pharaoh. Um, Moses himself says, God later will raise a prophet like me and you got to follow him. And, you know, Moses goes up on the mountain and receives the, the Lord's word and Jesus goes up on a mountain, sits down and gives the Lord's word. I mean, there he is. Okay, and David and Jesus are perhaps the most closely linked. The promises to David when he decides he's going to build a house or a temple for God is that, no, God's going to build his house. And from David, there will be one who reigns forever from the house of David. All right, so the suffering of those men and the suffering of Jesus are connected because the Bible is connected, because the Bible tells a coherent story and a coherent theology of suffering. Okay, um, this is the maybe the biggest event in the Old Testament. It gets told over and over in the Psalms when God, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, drove his people, brought his people out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and took two or three million people, 600,000 men plus their families, through the Red Sea. And this is the beginning of the Exodus. Okay, and here is a picture, kind of a Sunday school version picture. 
of when they crossed the Jordan River to finally enter the promised land where God had already counted them a final time and decided how they were going to distribute the land, the promised land, the land of milk and honey, the land that had been promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob 400 years before. Okay, but what happened in between? I don't have a shirt for this. How many? 40 years of suffering. Okay, let's delineate the suffering. Hard to find a good restaurant in the desert, right? Or water, wandering, not knowing where you're going. Yes, that's bad. Yeah. Certain death is in the suffering category, no question. Yes. This is a Keith Green fan right there. Yeah. Okay. Bumano bread. All right, good. What's that? All kinds of judgments, right? Mostly because of their own knuckleheadedness, like our kids, right? That's, um, what's that? I'm just thinking of the serpent. Serpent, right. Yeah, the, that's because they tested the Lord, all right? So Exodus 15 is the story of Miriam banging her tambourine and Moses, and they're singing the song about, the, about this event. And then 16 is when they're griping for bread. Well, they're complaining about bread, and, and the God gives them bread, and they still complain about that. And they test the Lord over and over again. That's what the serpent story is about. They test the Lord. They put him to the test when the reality is this is their time of testing. And then they violate commandments one and two when Moses, someone's already referred to it as as up on the mountain. They build a goat and say, these are your gods who led you out of Egypt. Okay, so stick with me. This is... This is the lovely place that is incapable of supporting two million people. Would you agree with that? If God doesn't lead them every day, day by day, provide for them every day, day by day, they don't live. But why are they there? All right, and this is, according to Deuteronomy, why they're there. Remember, this is Moses speaking to the people before they finally crossed the Jordan to go into the Promised Land. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart whether or not you would keep his commandments. So, again, like these other biblical characters, the nation of Israel has this time, okay? Here we are over here. We're slaves to, Mo, to I'm sorry, to Pharaoh and to the gods of Egypt, and we're miserable, and we're crying out to God, and he rescues us in power. And over there is a land of milk and honey. And in between is trials and suffering and difficulties. Okay, and you are the same. All right, you, if you're a disciple of Jesus, got rescued. Okay, the same way that Moses showed up and started talking to them about a God they didn't know, that's that's my story. I don't know about your story, but I wasn't looking for God. He came looking for me. And he rescued me out of darkness and slavery, and he's promised me a a banquet feast, whatever metaphor you like. The banquet of the Lamb, um, the return of the King, the actual story of Revelation. Heaven, a new heaven, a new earth. And in between, here we live. Here you live. In a time of testing, in a time, frankly, of suffering. Okay, so John the Baptist baptizing Jesus. Why did Jesus have to get baptized? To identify with us. Do you like that answer? Okay, you want to tell us a little bit more about what you mean by that? Well, before he died, he was going 
he wrote the record of Kenya. It's all certainly true. Why did Jesus say, when John the Baptist said, nah, you know, uh, this isn't kosher. I'm not supposed to even be untying your sandal of your, the strap of your sandal. I'm not going to baptize you. What did Jesus say? To fulfill all righteousness is what he said. I've, I've wondered for a long time about that. So here's, here's my explanation, I think. This is, may not be novel. I don't know. I might have read this somewhere. That happens a lot. Um, Jesus is Israel. All right? Here's what I mean by that. Um, Israel failed at every place, almost every place. They promised they were going to obey the Lord over and over again, but they didn't over and over and over and over and over again. And Jesus is us, as you said. He identifies with Israel and with us, and he does it. He, he does keep the Lord's commandments. His heart is complete. All right, and he begins not by going through the Red Sea, but by being baptized. And the New Testament clearly identifies this, connects this to Israel going through the Red Sea was their baptism. All right? And where does he go next? The wilderness. All right? And what are the three things that he's tempted with? If you think of the Exodus stories, you can answer that. The first is about bread, like the manna story, right? And then he's asked to tempt the Lord, to try the Lord like Israel did over and over and over again. And sometimes they got killed by plagues, and sometimes they got killed by snakes. And he doesn't go for that. And then the last thing, ain't no golden calf or the devil or anybody going to have Jesus Christ bow a knee to him. Okay? No idols. He does what Israel couldn't do. He does what you couldn't do ever. But he had to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. And he had to go through his own wilderness, his own temptation and suffering to fulfill all righteousness so that we get to be righteous. If it doesn't give you goosebumps, wake up. Right? All right. But the price of this, the, the currency of this is suffering. Okay. So, ancient picture. He tells his disciples this over and over again, right? This is one of the many examples from Matthew 16. From that time, he began to explain to the disciples he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. He's saying it over and over again to them, and they're not listening, right? I mean, if you read the Gospels, they still don't get it till basically till they get the Holy Spirit in, in, at Pentecost. We've talked about this before, but Peter tries to talk Jesus down from this. <laughs> no, Lord, you know, that's, we're not going to do that. Wait, not you. You're a player. You're not going to suffer. Okay, so think of all the ways that Jesus did suffer, if you can. And this, this, this is obviously a profitable thing for us to do. There's nothing that you mentioned when we were talking about Abraham or Moses or David or Joseph or those guys that Jesus didn't face in some way. There's nothing that my friend Lynn in Afghanistan or you, anywhere where you are, are going to face that he didn't deal with. Ever. And in fact, you'll never do this. You'll, you'll never say, if you understand the truth about yourself and God and Jesus Christ and his power, you'll never say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he's the only one who knows that. We don't ever have to know that. Because he knew that. But he got snitched on by one of his guys. His right-hand man denied him. When he was at most 
My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Will you please just pray with me? What did they do? Snoozed. He had, he had abandonment from a human standpoint. His own family didn't understand him. If you read the Gospels, at least early on, they didn't understand him. Your mom and your family are here trying to talk to you. They think you're nuts. His people didn't understand his mission. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. He faced accusations and charges that were lies. They lied about his reputation. They tried to trick him every possible way they could. They plotted his death and succeeded. And it was a grisly, horrible, tortured death. And it was exactly what was planned before the creation of the world. We would like to slip away from it ourselves and say, well, Jesus did that, so I don't have to do that. There's some truth to that. But the, but the, the heart and soul of being a disciple of Jesus, he says over and over again, no servant is different or above his master. The student is like his teacher. If they did this to me, they'll do this to you. In the world, you'll have trouble. The world can't accept me or it. The things of the Spirit are understood only by people who have the Spirit. What they did to Jesus, they do to us if we're faithful followers of Jesus. And he said it to his disciples over and over again. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake or for me will find it. We have a friend who also was in this country I showed you earlier for many years, who now works in Europe with refugees um, from Iran and from that same country. And he has a young man, an Iranian Christian, who is his friend. And that young man's father visited him in London from Iran and brought a gift for our friend. I hope that's all not too confusing. It was a carpet. And the Iranians make beautiful carpets. Um, and it was from before the revolution, before the 1970s. I don't know if you can see it. It's framed because they love it. But it shows a disciple of Jesus with their own cross clinging to Jesus. So the man who brought this, the father, is not a disciple of Jesus. His son is. But he knew his son had something with Jesus and with this guy, our friend. But this is the this is a ancient understanding of what it means to follow Jesus, to take up our cross, to, to enter into his suffering. We're going to look at that in just a minute. Okay. And then the last thing from Jesus, what's this a picture of? You guys know the story, right? So the road to Emmaus. Um, it's in Luke's gospel. One of the ways Jesus revealed himself after his resurrection was to two guys. One's named Cleopas. I don't think the other guy's name is given. But um, they're walking along, and they um, don't recognize him at first, you recall. And he asks them, what are you talking about? And they say, haven't you heard all this business? And then Jesus says this to him. He begins to explain the truth of the gospel. To, he says, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all, the pro, all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. The longer I've been a disciple, the more I've read the Bible, um, man, He's, Jesus is lurking on every page, just about. 
Sometimes it's not working. Sometimes he kicks the door down in your face when you open the book. And his suffering, particularly in the Psalms of David, it's just in technicolor. But it was the theme of his ministry. It was what his disciples didn't get. It's what made them, him call them foolish for not even understanding that this theme throughout all of the Bible is that the Messiah must suffer. Okay, here's the theological anchor of the New Testament. This is the Apostle Paul. And we, we don't have time. We have, we have to be done here in about 15 minutes or 20 minutes. We don't have time to really delve into Pauline theology of suffering, but it is rich and true. So I'm just going to give you some passages that you may know from the book of Philippians. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. What does that mean? It's it's been granted to you. It's a gift from God. It's a gift from God to suffer for Jesus. The Spirit, this is Romans 8, great Romans 8, the amazing Romans 8. For the Spirit testifies with our spirits that we are children of God. We're God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, so that we might also share in his glory. This wasn't a theoretical consideration for this guy. You know this guy's story, right? Um, in the book of Second Corinthians, he lists, he chronicles all the times he's had his rear end beat up and he's been stoned and shipwrecked and how many times he's been whipped because of his mission, because of who he is. In one of the retellings in the book of Acts of his conversion, remember the disciple Ananias who's going to go help him when he's blind, he's been knocked off his horse and he's blinded and Ananias unwisely says to God, I'm not really sure I want to do what you're telling me to do here because this guy's a bad guy. And and he says, no, I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name. That's Paul's lot, the Apostle Paul, the great missionary, the great church planner. And he says this, and again, try to wrap your mind around this. Now, I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. This is not a man who thinks that there's an insufficiency in the sufferings of Jesus or the cross of Jesus. But he seems to be saying to us, and I'm going to show you another passage or two that that suggests the very same thing, that in this present time, between the comings of Jesus, his first resurrection from the dead and victory over, over death and sin and hell, and his final coming, that there is a filling up of suffering that happens to his body. And that's you and me. And that the Apostle Paul, as he's a missionary and a church planter, he sees himself as taking additional suffering on behalf of the church and filling up what's still left of the sufferings of Jesus for the redemption of the world. If this is really what it means, we, disciples, have the capacity to participate in the redemption of the world by participating in the sufferings of Jesus. Listen to him. I thought of this passage when my friend Lynn wrote to me from Afghanistan. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure How bad was it? So that we despaired of life itself. 
Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. Wasn't bad enough what happened to Paul. He was delivered, but he's going to need delivering again probably. We've seen patients, we've known persons, maybe we've even felt it ourselves, where the hope is so drained from us that we're, we're at despair, we're at the point of despair, even at the point of wanting to die. Um, Lystra is in Asia, and this is where he got stoned. I wonder if maybe he was writing remembering that. Stoned. All right, quickly we're going to touch on a few of the other authors of the New Testament to show you that this isn't just in the Gospels or just in Paul's theology, but we don't, again, we don't have a lot of time to delve into it. But the book of Hebrews, probably not written by the Apostle Paul, um, shows us another side of this power of suffering, the, the power of suffering to be part of redemption. Hebrews 2, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. You know, um, probably the right way of understanding perfect in this context is complete. Not that Jesus Christ was imperfect in in any sort of moral or spiritual sense. The rebellion of Lucifer and the rebellion of human beings is so great, whether we see it or not. It's so great that this is what this is the price. And the Son of God Himself, fully God, fully man, has to endure this. And is in fact perfected through it, is made complete through it somehow. Three chapters later, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Do we, are we audaciously nuts? Enough to say that if Jesus Christ had to be made perfect through suffering, that we don't? That if the head had this happen, the body doesn't have to have this happen? God, the Son, learned obedience from what he suffered. And through that suffering was made perfect. All right, this one... I don't have enough T-shirts to give away to the people who've memorized this one, right? (laughs) Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Consider it pure joy. I just heard a sigh over here. All right, and I think, um, except for Revelation, the last, because I, I, honestly, I went through all of the New Testament writers, and it's there everywhere. First um, Peter, I would say it's probably the main theme of the book, actually suffering. So we're just going to use one of the passages. 
Dear friends, writing to the church, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate, there it is again, you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. All right, and then here's the last bit from the Bible. This is when Jesus has been found worthy to open the seals. Um, The scroll that was sealed in the book of Daniel, and there was weeping in heaven because no one could open the scrolls. It would end the world, and then the Lamb came, and he began to open the scrolls, the, the seals. So the fifth, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. Somewhere in the mind of God, there's a number of martyrs. And the show doesn't stop till we hit that number. The, the death because of the testimony and the word of God, the human lives that are lost, somehow it's part of the end times. It's part of the final redemption. It's part of the final return of Jesus. See, in American popular Christianity has no part for that. There's no room for that. Okay? What we want is heaven now. We want all the good stuff that's going to happen when we've endured all this stuff. We want to go boom from being rescued from slavery in Egypt to boom, land of milk and honey without this in the middle. And the only, thing you, the only way to do that is to skip Jesus in the middle. All right, um, one missionary in history, and then we're going to talk a little bit more about Michelle, and I hope maybe you're going to talk a little bit. Adoniram Judson, he's got a funny name, okay? He's the first American missionary sent. Um, and this is a 500-page book, which is a little bit tough to get through, especially the beginning, but it's golden. And so I recommend it to you. If you haven't read missionary biographies before, you should do that, because if they're truthfully told, um, and I'm advising you not to read lying biographies about missionaries. <laughs> Stupid thing for me to say. The stories all have suffering as a major theme. Okay, there's no giant in the history of the missionary movement, Catholic or Protestant, frankly, that doesn't have incredible difficulties in their life, in their interpersonal relationships, their families, their health, their mental health. And this guy... At age 25, left the United States, um, expecting never to see his family again. He came back once in 40 years. His plan initially was to be a Congregationalist missionary with William Carey, the British missionary in India, and all of those plans got scuttled. The people that left with him to join him on this work together, his brothers-in-arms, they didn't last very long at all. The young wife that he took died as did several of their children. Um, 
the British and the they went to Burma to Myanmar. The, the British um, threatened that country, and all Westerners himself were, were jailed for a long, long time, and he almost died in jail. He faced um, outrageous depression. Okay, he he effectively quit his ministry and went into he literally dug a grave for himself and sat next to it. He was so depressed after his first wife died. He had three, and it wasn't because he dated a lot. Okay, the second wife died also. His third wife died of tuberculosis shortly after he died. He wanted to reach, when he finally settled on Burma, the majority people group there, and he went 12 years and had just a handful of converts. And it was only after this very difficult time of depression and isolation that the, the light broke and there was a huge outpouring of Burmese disciples. And all of the work that he'd done in translating the Bible, he saw it all come to fruition. Thousands and thousands and thousands, now millions of Burmese Christians. But to get there, he had to suffer really badly. So he, he got a place in the shirt. All right, you can find him there. And if you love to read biographies, get a shirt and just start reading the biographies about these people. Because all of them, because of their faithfulness to the word and to the gospel and to Jesus, suffered in multiple ways. Okay, so I got one more. Um, you think I can make it in? I can. I could probably go to the back of the room. All right, this is the swankiest thing we got. And again, you can change it. If you're the winner, you can change the size. This is to the need to the nations for the king. Um, probably going to be on GQ magazine sometime. And you'll see people here. All right. So would you stand up just for a second? No, don't. I'm going to embarrass her. She's wearing one. All right. If you can summarize what I've been carping on about for the last 45 minutes in a couple, three sentences, I want you to have this sweatshirt. All right, uh, we got two, three. All right, we'll we'll get three sweatshirts. We'll see. Yes, sir. You were thinking of me, weren't you? Yeah. All right. Okay, come, buddy, you look good in this sweatshirt. Come on. Come on. All right, so this was my own summary of my own stuff. Bible figures, Israel, Jesus, apostles, the missionaries, they all suffered, which is what all three of you have said, and that it's necessary for testing, for maturing, for participating in the suffering of Jesus, for perfecting us, and for redeeming the world. And I don't want to do it. Okay, but what if, this is not a rhetorical question, 
What if we really believed this? What would happen? What, what would be different? Anything? Everything. Everything. What do you mean by that? I love that answer. Someone take the radical out of the room, please. <laughs> Great answer. Someone else before that? Do we stomp on you? One of the things that Luke adds to that is carrying the cross as a daily Luke 9.23, take up your cross daily and follow me. That's right. Absolutely, every day. There was, yes, sir. I think it also reforms the current language that is being used as far as in Christian circles about just, you know, what the Christian life is like. Um, so, you know, we talked about, you know, radical discipleship and suffering, but it also reformed a lot of kind of the maybe health and wealth issues that people are, are dealing with that are hearing in certain messages from, you know, certain avenues and, and media outlets. Was there, yes, sir? If we, if we see suffering as sort of a, not just a random event, what's difficult about suffering a lot of times, whatever it is, is the unknown, the fear, Kids cry in teens because they don't know if it's broken forever and, you know, kind of think painful, but they just really are scared. So it's the fear that we see it as part of a necessary program. It's not a matter of random, you know, occurrences, but it's actually a a program, if you will, that we're going through that is part of our training. And you expect it, you see it in that perspective, you move through it, you know, pulling in, pulling on to Christ, and you get through it. And then you endure it. So um, one of the reasons it's so hard to do what he just described is because suffering affects us, our senses, right? We feel it so strongly, and we're so completely tied to time right now that we, we, we just can't get up and look further back or, or forward and see the context of our suffering. We just feel it all now. And faith undoes that. I mean, faith gives us the capacity to do that, to think, I know this isn't going to be forever. I know this is working out good in me. I know this is bringing perseverance. I, is it true? Am I actually participating in the suffering of Jesus? Am I getting closer to Jesus through this? These are not bad things, as bad as it feels. Okay. Um, but I want suffering like I want to put my hand on that, right? All right and I've asked these sorts of questions when I think about this part of the world. And we've got to stop just in a second here. But the places where the church has not yet been planted, the places where there are not significant disciples of Jesus left, like they're all really difficult. They're like the place that I showed you earlier of our friend. We can't go to Hawaii anymore, right? And I'm sure that was it was. I read a great biography actually about a family that were missionaries in Hawaii, and they had lots of difficulties, of course, too. But if if we're going to Go to the places where Jesus is not yet known. If we're going to go to the places so that, as Revelation 5 or 7 says, every tribe, tongue, nation, and people are going to be there, then our lot is suffering to some degree. And again, mixed with joy, okay? Mixed with joy. The stories, the biographies that I'm telling you about, the biblical figures, if you think about them, they suffered, but they also had joy, real happiness. It's not all bad. It's not wait, we have to wait until finally Jesus comes before we have a, just a second of fun. That's not the case at all. 
Um, and there she is, happy. Okay, that's her boyfriend. No, it's not. Um, <laughs> so hard to date in that country, I tell you. Um, a deer, I think, or a goat. It's a goat. All right. So I want to share with you the last bit of her email traffic, and then we're going to stop. Um, excuse me. Let me see. During this time, I journaled. I felt like a failure. Was there some key I hadn't found to make the devil run, to end the oppression? Why, for everything I asked for, did the opposite happen? And he answered me with his presence. Indeed, all the knowledge and information I had as tools to fight, and I'm glad I had them, they are important to learn. However, I mistakenly thought that if I did all of these things, then X had to happen. In this case, the devil had to leave. I say this because I think we want a list of things to do, prepare, etc., so that we are ready for overseas. Much more importantly, we must learn to enter his presence and wait before him. This is hard to do in the U.S., but time must be taken for this. Time before him without our agenda. Time before him waiting on him. And the last things that she had to say. Can I say God is good no matter what my circumstances? Can I say, as the song says, Jesus Christ is made to me all I need? I've tried to do this in my own will before. He will be all I need. He is good. I just keep repeating it. I look at how much worse others have it, but it doesn't work for me. I'm learning that this can only be said when I've drunk from him so deeply that I know it to be true. It comes from suffering, and it gets us through suffering. It is sitting at his feet and knowing him. Let's pray. Father, in your wisdom, um, you you have called us. You have revealed yourself to us. You have um, made Jesus Christ and his cross beautiful to us. And you have reconciled us, your enemies, to yourself. Jesus, it's your obedience, your suffering, the things that you did that we could never have done that reconciles us to the Father. It's your blood that takes away our sin. It's your intercession that strengthens us now. And as frightened as we are, we want to enter more deeply into you. Not just into your life, but also into your suffering and your death. We want to be like you in your suffering and death so we can be like you in your glory forever. Use us to make yourself look great. Use us to do the the ongoing redemption of the world and the nations. Make yourself look great through us, we pray. Give us courage to endure difficulties. We ask in your great name. Amen.